very helpful, and I would appreciate it. No is an acceptable answer. It, it is. I asked. I didn't say, go do it. I mean, <laughs> let's uh, pray in preparation for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray that you would open our ears uh, and, and our hearts. Uh, let, our, let our stubbornness and our, our blindness and our sin and our rebellion and anything else that might happen to get in the way of hearing your word and hearing the gospel today, let it, let it all just sort of melt away. I pray, Lord God, that you would send your spirit to break down strongholds and, and till the ground and, and just make us new with new life in Christ. Um, I pray that uh, you would help me to, to be focused and to, to have the energy and, and to reflect your word, Lord, that, that I would be faithful. Um, and, and I pray, Lord, that, that as everybody's here today, that they would hear the words and, and not find themselves thinking, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this, but, but rather that they would see the word of God as a, as a mirror that they can look into and say, wow, I needed this. Like, I need Jesus. Um, pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, it is a bit of irony, uh, not irony, I'm going to call it providence, that I uh, came back from sabbatical, having not worked for several weeks, spending time studying and praying and resting and, and everything else, and I, I started a series on work. I did not pick work as the series. Jeremy picked the book of Ecclesiastes, and I was cursing him up and down the first week when it came time to preach Ecclesiastes, because I thought, oh my goodness, thank you so much, sir. Uh, But, like, it has been perfect. Uh, And I I really appreciated a lot of stuff that I prayed about and reflected on has kind of come to the fore. And I'm going to share a story this morning uh, over the course of this message. Uh, This happened while I was at a a retreat center in Bozeman. Uh, This place is a mountaintop retreat center, and they just, like, their primary focus is pastoral retreats. The guy who works there, like, is a has a is a like a psychology professor. He does counseling, he does uh, all kinds of stuff, but he specializes with pastors, and and it was pretty awesome actually. And I got a lot of rest, and it is right on. I don't know what's the name of the national park right south of Bozeman. Not Yellowstone. That's the national park. National Forest. Gallatin. Who knew that? Good job, man. Uh, so it's right on the edge of Gallatin, and like there, it's all mountains and trees and nothing, and there's a whole lot of nothing there except for animals and birds and bears. And I'm like the spot we were at. We had uh, one time a black bear came through, and another time, actually a couple times apparently, at least once when Jess pulled in to pick me up, there was a mama mama bear and her cubs, a pair of grizz, or three grizzlies, in the road on the property as she was pulling up and. And, uh, and, and so they're there and like they would come through the property and that's kind of neat actually. Um, so I spent a lot of time hiking and I took some pictures, right? I'm not going to show you all of my hiking pictures because most of them I look like I'm about to die. Uh, but, um, I, I spent a ton of time hiking and they gave me this map and the map was not good. Uh, the, the retreat center was amazing. I have nothing bad to say about them, but the map was just not good. And I got it into my head. I could use my map, my walk app, and I could take notes, and I could walk the entire like like area hiking trail 
that they recommended I check out, and I could map it all, and I could make a better map for them. And I could take notes as to where the special interest spots. There was like a spring, and he told me roughly where it was, and it took me like two days to find it because it was not well marked on the map. Um, and so I, I went out, and I hiked. And, and every day I'd hike for a couple hours. And then the day I went out, um, I went out by myself, mind you, right? And I remember telling my brother, because I walked past a spot where there was this bench, and uh, like an hour later, I walked past it again on my way back, and a, and a bear had torn it up and, to eat the carpenter ants out of it. Uh, and I thought, oh, I almost met a friend, and he almost met a meal. Uh, I guess that'd be a happy meal because I was well-rested in a good mood. I don't know if it counts. Um, and I'm probably really fattening and deep-fried. I don't know. Uh, lots of preservative. I come in a really attractive, colorful box. It was great. All right. Rabbit trail. Bear trail, I guess. Uh, keep it to the bear necessities in the sermon. So I did this map. And this is, uh, all right, see, and I got my laser pointer. Right here is where I started, right? And, like, you, you can't really see. The elevation is really low. And um, right here, there's a peak and another one right there and another one right there. And there's actually another one right here that I almost climbed that day. But I went out on my own. I remember I told my brother, wow, I ran into a, nearly ran into this bear. And he said, hey, maybe you shouldn't go hiking by yourself. Like, maybe you should take someone with you. And I thought, yeah, my brother is an outdoorsy kind of guy, but I'm older, and I'm wiser, and I do know everything. He didn't understand. Like, I had it. And so I, I decided I could do this alone. And, and it was a decision, and we will unpack that decision as we go. Um, and it's going to relate to our text in this way. Solomon, in Ecclesiastes, has been talking about work, Right? The first part of this series, we talked about like all of the ways work gets out of control. It's supposed to be a gift, but it's not because we become obsessed with work and we become workaholics. I am not aiming this sermon at any of you, okay? So like if you're getting kicked, it ain't me. It's Solomon and he's dead. You can't get mad at him. Um, so workaholism, and he talks about how like work is a gift, but the more we focus on work and make it the central thing in life, the emptier and more pointless life becomes. And you're just chasing after something you can't keep. It's like trying to grab a hold of perfume, right? You just can't. You can't take it with you. It's trying to, I got a great picture of Abby in our kitchen. She's like one year old, and she's in the kitchen at the parsonage, and she's trying to grab the streaming light coming through the window. And it's just adorable. And she actually managed to catch it because it comes out of her personality constantly, um, mostly in scorching heat. Um, but um, so Solomon says, look, work as a way of living is not life. It is pointless and it is it is folly and it leaves you empty and hopeless and alone. And then at the peak of the poem, he says, listen, I'm going to show you a better way. This is the way we're supposed to live. And that is in community. Everybody with me? part of our design by God. We were made to be in community with each other. We are made to be in deep, meaningful, close, intimate, open relationships. And it is not the way our culture is, right? Um, I read a study uh, that over 50% of Americans say that they are lonely all the time. The younger that gets, the higher the number gets. 
but I've got 10 million friends on Facebook and 8 million followers on Instagram. And that stuff makes you feel more alone. Did you know that? And most of us are living lives traveling alone. We are walking the path in front of us, and we wish there was someone else. And it's awful. And so then the next little section here, which we're going to do over the next few weeks, um, Solomon talks about travel. It, like, I'm taking it in this direction. Like, it, there are a couple ways to read it. The most common interpretation is that the three examples, five? No, three, sir. The three examples, that was just because of you earlier, uh, the three examples that he gives are all travel-related. And so we're going to look at these, and they are basically why it's better to travel in a group. And in the ancient Near East, it was really important to travel in a group for a lot of reasons, not the least of which was there was nothing there. There's still a lot of nothing there, right? Um, It would be like walking from here to Great Falls to walk across Israel. And if you're on business and you're by yourself and you're walking across Israel, there might be one town along the way and it's Loma. Got it? Like there's nothing. And so It's dangerous. If you get hurt, you're in trouble. Everything else. So we're going to talk today about Friends of the Road. We're going to talk about my hiking trip. Okay, so we are doing life from God's perspective, life and work. The first part was work from God's perspective, and now we're going to do life and work because work is not life. Work is not everything, and we can't just do work from God's perspective because work is this gift we're to enjoy, and it's a part of our lives. So our hinge text from last week, uh, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Um, if you didn't catch it, listen to it. I think it's a pretty good sermon. My dad listened to it and said that it was, that I was on fire, which is a thing. I've never heard him say that about a sermon I've done before, and I glowed about it. I listened, like, I, I can't tell you how, anybody ever get that when your dad would say, good job, and it's like, huge, so listen to it, okay? Because <laughs> my dad endorsed it. I'm sorry, I'm getting bogged down here. Um, So, again, this isn't a poem. It's what's called a chiastic form, and I am just going to do this real quick because it's important. If you read the text, it's a poem, right, or an argument structure. The central line is verse 9. There's three examples, not five, three. Um, There's the two or better than one verse, verse 9, and then the next three examples are the counterpoint, the exact opposite of the previous ones, and they are all about travel and why it's better to live our life go down the road of life like life is a highway and travel it in groups because it's safer and it's better and so we're in 10 only verse we're looking at in ecclesiastes today beyond the one that the hinge verse which we're going to look at every time for if they fall one will lift up his fellow but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up Now, half a second to let that sink in. If you're going to work, work with another person. Woe to him who's working alone. If he falls, he's alone. Anybody know anybody who's gotten really hurt working on the farm by themselves? And like, they were alone. I was actually driving uh, Swather uh, for Larry one day, and I, I didn't have a car. He dropped me off. And I was way out in the middle of nowhere, and I I think I finished. And when I got done, I got to sit in the field for about three hours until someone came and got me. It was wonderful, but, like, if a machine breaks down and there's no way to get home, what happens? You walk or you sit, right? Um, I got stuck in the snow at Larry's once, and I had to walk about a mile back to his house in waist-deep snow because I'm stupid. 
Um, if you're alone, no one's there to pull you out. No one's there to lift you up. You are stuck. Um, last week, we talked about the text in their perspective and the text from the eternal perspective, from Christ's point of view. And we're going to touch on that really briefly in Galatians. Because from the eternal point of view, we have Galatians. This is actually 6. It should be 6, 1 to 3. And I mislabeled the slide. I apologize. Or 1 and 2, actually. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to confess straight up, I wish I was better at this. I had a great reminder this week that oftentimes I don't say, I observe, and I think, well, there's no point in saying. Or I'll talk with someone, and I'll kind of struggle with them, or they'll hurt my feelings, or, and that does happen. I know, like men don't, we don't have feelings. We get hungry and we feel tired. But like, I, I'm not like that, I guess. Like sometimes people say stuff and it's like, oh man. And like, I'll just bottle it up and I'll walk away and I'll grumble. Anybody else do that? Like two of you. Thank you. Got me coffee and amen to me with his hand. Um, so, uh, Caught in transgression, it's easy to think of that as, oh, I caught him doing something he shouldn't. That is not the idea. Caught in transgression is a little more like getting caught in the mud, right? You know the mud here in Montana? There's a lot of it, and it's mostly clay. And you get caught in the mud when your wheels stop turning, or they just turn freely and nothing happens, right? Caught means stuck. Caught means trapped. Caught means, like, you're not going anywhere. And that happens to us. We get caught in sin. We get bound up in it, and we get stuck. And the idea here is those who are spiritual, which, by the way, is a little bit of a trick. When we look at the other guy and we say, wow, that guy's sinner. What a sinner. What an awful person. And then we don't gently help them get out of it. You're acknowledging you're not spiritual. Got it? I I own that ten times over because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And that's not ideal. I love it when people tell me I'm wrong. And I don't like doing it for other people. Except my wife. And so we're to bear each other's burdens. This is the Christ-like perspective. In Christ, we lift each other up when we're stuck. When the disaster hits, we lift each other up. So I'm going to come back to my map here. Uh, So this is the farthest I went. That is about... I don't know, five or six miles out, okay? So I'm five or six miles into the mountain. By the time I was done, that's 13, and that's home. Got it? Went a long way, and there was, the trip back was longer than it was supposed to be. And I decided to turn around because I looked, and I said, well, the sun's starting to go down, and I don't want to be up here in the dark with bears. Everybody with me? And I said, you know what? I bet I can push to this peak. And you know who was there to tell me, Eric, that's a stupid idea? No one. (laughs) And so with no one along for the ride, I began to climb this extra spot, and I rolled my ankle. I am, I have weak ankles. And it's not just because I'm fat. It is because I crushed my left foot in college, or bad arthritis. My ankles roll often. I I will go out running, and, like, I've been out on... uh, North Road, like like a couple miles out of town, and rolled my ankle and finished my run. 
Like I, I sprain my ankles very easily. They swell and I just sort of learn to ignore it. In this particular instance, I rolled my ankle and it hurt really bad. And then I thought, I've got a long walk home and the sun's going down. And I think it was maybe God saying, turn around and go the other way, Eric. And that was the first time I rolled my ankle. And that was before I got lost. This story's fun. Here's the trick. If you are all alone, the moment you encounter disaster, guess what? You're stuck. If you fall, no one is there to pick you up. That is the first thing Solomon says. Listen, you need people because you need someone to pick you up. If you fall on the road, you're in trouble. And so everything under this fits in this. When you encounter disaster, you are stuck. If you have no one else, if you are alone, if you are isolated. And we can be isolated and alone, surrounded by people this morning, right? Some of y'all are gritting your teeth at me because you're alone, surrounded by people this morning, even people you've known your whole life. And it's awful. You know what I'm saying? And so, there is this thing that happens when you have other people along. First off, see the blue? And there's a little dotted line. You can't see it really well. There was a turn. And it was a turn that was not well marked. And I missed my turn. And I walked miles. I rolled my ankle twice along the way. But it was downhill, and it was easy, and I was making a lot of progress quickly. And the sun was going down, and I really needed to hurry, and so I needed to hurry, and downhill was fast. It was the wrong way. I was so focused on how quickly I was moving and how much my ankle hurt and how scared I was that I was going to be stuck out there in the dark that I didn't pay attention and there was no one watching with me. Everybody with me? If we have other people along, if we have community, if we have relationships, we have people to keep us on the right path. Um, We're going to be talking about Peter this morning. And actually, I was supposed to say that uh, two slides ago. Um, and we're talking about Peter in the middle of a disaster, and all of these are going to apply to him, and we are going to see how Jesus was the friend for the road. Because for all of us, Jesus is the friend for the road. When I am stuck in the mountains, you know who I talk to? I talk to Jesus. You know what I really needed? I needed Jesus, and I needed somebody who was standing there saying what Jesus should have said, which was, hey, Eric, turn around. Hey, Eric, don't sit at the top of this mountain for 30 minutes doing nothing. You're going to run out of time. Eric, stop taking pictures. The sun's going down. Eric, you're getting yourself in trouble. You know who was there to do that? No one. And so I was listening to me. And my own counsel is bad. And I know a lot of you guys are brilliant, but your own counsel is bad. You know why? Because your own counsel is oftentimes the downhill slope. It's easy. Sometimes God's voice in my life is my voice doing what it wants, not God's voice calling me to holiness or submission or love. Anybody else done this? Just me? So it keeps you on the right path. And so we're going to look uh, real quick, if my slide goes. This is, um, this is at the Last Supper, right after the Last Supper. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to be arrested. He turns to Simon And he says, or Peter, this is the Apostle Peter, he says, Simon, Simon. Mind you, he's been calling him Peter the whole time. He calls him Simon now, which is the name he had before he met Christ. And he's talking to Simon, talking to Peter, as though he was 
didn't know Jesus. Because everything he's about to do is going to be a reflection of the fact that his flesh, the old man, the old self, the I don't know Christ yet, this is the dead, unsaved version of me, it's often in the driver's seat. And it makes bad choices. And so, like, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, we're going to pause there. He didn't say, I prayed that you would be left alone. Everybody catch that? He's going to get sifted. But he said, I prayed that your faith will, will like, stand, that you'll hold on. I think there's a reason for that. We'll come back to it if I remember to. Um, if I don't, like, yell at me later. Um, but he's like, I, I'm praying that you will not completely disintegrate and abandon the call. I am praying that you will not run away and hide for the rest of your life. And you have, and you have turned again. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Also important. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Because Peter bragged a lot. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I would never deny you. So they get to the garden and they are, Jesus is praying and he is intensely praying. And it's likely that he prayed for several hours and it is dark. I'm telling you, the Garden of Gethsemane is dark. Right. And Jesus is there and he's praying and he's looking probably up across the Kidron Valley and the guards from the temple come out of the east gate and they're carrying torches and there's a line of them and they're coming to arrest him. And Jesus is praying and he's sweating blood and he's scared and he's looking at these guards coming and he's praying. And what's Peter doing? Sleeping. And going a little further, he fell on his face praying, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Peter's spirit says one thing, Simon inside him says something else and then falls asleep and his warning like so he's saying listen peter something bad is coming it's coming down the hill right over there pray because you're going to face it you need to pray get up and pay attention to god's deal because you're going to face it now don't fall asleep don't fall asleep um we need people like this in our lives the holy spirit is there with us Sunday morning is part of this, right? You hear the word. Some of you guys get kicked real hard on Sunday mornings, right? I kick myself almost every Sunday because half the time I'm preaching at me more than I'm preaching at you. Got it? Or to you. At me, to you. Um, Some of you guys picked up Monopoly money this last week because you're like, man, I worry about work too much. Work is my idol. I cheat on my wife with my job. Um, some of you guys were in that place and you took it with you and then like you're awake for the moment and you see the torches and it's easy to fall asleep again, isn't it? We need people who will step up next to us and say, you still praying? What are you struggling with? Where are you tempted? What's in front of you today? That is at work. That is at home. That is with your wife. That is on the internet. By the way, the internet is the worst because it is the easiest place to hide your sin, isn't it? No one sees you doing bad stuff. It's completely free. Or it's slavery, I forget. Anyway, 
So he's there saying, listen, pray, wake up, be ready. Like, like look at what's happening. I've warned you. You're going to deny me. This is coming. And he kept sleeping. And eventually, actually, the third time he goes to him and they're all asleep again. And he's like, well, forget it. Go ahead and sleep. And he leaves him. He's like, I'm just, they're not even going to wake up. They're not going to do it. I'm going to let him. And the Holy Spirit will do that. Like, if we ignore him long enough, we'll stop hearing him. We won't feel ashamed when we do wicked things. We won't feel like anything except for numb. That's why we need brothers around us to remind us and to say, you're messing up, you're getting lost, you're working too much, you need to spend more time with your wife, you need to stop talking about your wife that way, you said you'd love her forever, you swore that in front of a God, and now look at what you're saying, you need to do better. Are you being Jesus? We need people like that, I need people like that. Um, so, back to my pointer, I love having this, um, we need people who will keep us accountable when we fall. So I'm on this blue thing, and you will notice I walked a long way. I mean, I just kept going. That's where I got lost. That was me off track. I, I was, and I walked miles, and I, I didn't think maybe I should check my map. Maybe I should see where I am. I kept thinking, wow, I'm getting lower and lower into the valley. I can hear the creek. It's pretty. And I didn't think, oh, the sun's going down. The sun was trying to keep me accountable, right? Hey, it's getting dark. But no one was there to say, Eric, turn around. Like, maybe we're off track. I did that to Jess when she fell asleep while we're driving. We used to fight about who got to drive longer at night. And she fell asleep, and I stole her turn. And she woke up like five hours later, and I had missed a highway exit like five minutes after she fell asleep. And so I got to turn around and drive five hours back. Remember that, honey? Um, (laughs) We need people to pay attention and keep us accountable. Once we've screwed up, we need people to say, Eric, you are in trouble. You are messing up. You are in sin. You are lost. To keep us accountable when we fall. All right, so we're going to look at, uh, sorry, I jumped ahead on my slides. I forget you can't see both of them. I can. Do I get my next one? I'm stuck. Uh, is that my first scripture verse? All right, thank you. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. No, that's not right. You're going to back me up a little. All right, and immediately, so Peter is at the trial of Jesus. Peter and John followed Jesus to the house of the former high priest where Jesus was tried, and the guy is like, like a yard, which is really weird. If you ever get tried in someone's yard, something's wrong. Got it? So he is in this guy's yard with John, and they're there, and they're both scared, and, like, there's a huge crowd there, and Peter's standing there, and people start coming up to him and like, hey, you look like a Galilean. Weren't you with that Jesus fella? And, like, he, no, I don't know that guy. And then the next one, hey, 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 I'm pretty sure I saw you with him. No, I don't even know that. What are you talking about? And then he denies him a third time. And immediately, while he was still speaking, so the words have come out of his mouth. He's not thinking about the crow. He's not thinking about anything else. He is scared. He is stuck. And he is running away. 
And when the rooster crowed, the Lord turned to him and looked at Peter. So Jesus is there. He's on trial. You know, they've spit on him. They've hit him. They're accusing him. People are lying about him on the, on the stand and everything else. And he's there. And he, Peter, I don't know that guy. And Jesus turns and catches his eye and looks at him. Did you ever do something wrong and somebody looks you straight in the eye and you knew you did something wrong? And then the rooster crows. And he remembers Jesus' words. And there are going to be moments like that when we sin. We're in the moment of it and we're enjoying the heck out of our sin. Because it's fun, right? It is. Sin is fun, otherwise we wouldn't do it. And then we cross that line and we realize, oh man, what did I just do? Because suddenly the Holy Spirit says, hey, what are you doing? Suddenly somebody catches you and they see you. Suddenly you realize, I'm stuck in the mud and nobody's pulling me out. Here I am. And he went out and he wept bitterly. I think the tricky thing for us is we don't weep bitterly outwardly. We screw up and we bury it as deep as we can and we try to pretend it's not there. And we feel ashamed and we feel hopeless. When I was uh, in my alcoholism, I wished every day I could go to church and talk to the pastor about it. But I worked there. And I knew if people knew I was drinking that I, they would judge me. They would hate me. And when I started struggling, it was about the time a family member died. And I just felt empty and horrible. And I didn't cry about it in front of anyone. I buried it as deep as I could because I just wanted to pretend it was all okay. And that is where we get stuck. Peter wept because he knew he was ashamed. I drank because I didn't, because I knew I was ashamed. All of us do things. Some of us work because we're ashamed. Some of us buy stuff that we can't afford because we're ashamed. Some of us just get mad. Have we ever spent a ton of time being angry at people you had no business being angry at? And it's just that bitterness piling up inside of you like a, like a boil that needs to be lanced and it just hurts all the time. Whatever it is, wherever we hide, that outward weep, that outward brokenness is important. Now, here's the trick. He does not leave us there. He doesn't leave us. When we're lost, when we're failing, when we're in sin, Christ will leave the 99 and come looking for you. When you are God's enemy, Christ died for you. When you were doing the most ashamed thing, when you were being the most bitter and resentful, when you were the most lost. When I was in the valley, the GPS knew where I was. When I was in the valley, Christ had his eye on me. David said that if I make my bed in the grave, some translation rendered it, if I make my bed in hell, Christ will come and get me. Or God will come and get me. Christ a little early for that. Um, but the idea still being, guys, this is what Jesus is for. And you know what? This is what you're for. Because we are the body of Christ. We are the church. Thank you, TJ, for picking the song. We are the body. Right? Why aren't his hands holding? Why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't our eyes seeking the lost? you got neighbors that are that way. Some of you are that way. Christ is still looking for you. He's probably kicking on the door on a regular basis for you. And I can only say pay attention. He looks for us when we're lost. Um, I think it's very neat. I couldn't find another text that I really wanted to use. Uh, I think I may have made it up, which is a weird thing. But unfortunately, I've never preached it. Um, 
But this is after the resurrection. An angel is at the tomb, and Mary and the women come. And the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He, was, he is risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Say that again. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There he will, you will see him just as he told you. And so, like, the first thing the angel is told to tell them, I assume, right? Go, go tell his followers, but particularly let Peter know. Why? Because Peter is broken. Peter is ashamed. Peter is in the hole. And Christ is looking for him. While Peter was denying him, Christ died for him. Holy what? So we're going to flash forward. They're in Galilee. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Um, This is his profession. This is not just him going fishing. I assume that if you're a professional fisherman, you don't necessarily want to go fishing all the time. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Uh, sorry, my thing just broke. Uh, did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This is significant. It's really easy to miss what just happened here. When Peter meets Jesus... Um, Jesus is preaching a sermon on the shore. There are so many people. He gets in Peter's boat, and he like goes out a little ways so the crowd won't push him into the water. And like he preaches a sermon. And he preaches a sermon, and then immediately he turns to the disciples, like to these guys, Peter and James and John, like the partners. And he's like, guys, have you caught any fish? No. He says, well, throw your net over there. And they caught so many fish, the boat nearly sank. And the brothers, James and John, are pulling the net in, and it's sinking, and it's ridiculous and disastrous. And Peter, instead of helping, turns to Jesus, falls on his face, and says, Get away from me. I'm a sinner. I am such a wicked man. I do not need to be near you. You need to get away from me because you cannot love me the way I am. Because God cannot have anything to do with me. Lightning will strike me if I walk into that church. Anybody heard that joke before? Anybody made it? Um, And so he's there. He's like, I am broken. Get away from me. And so this is the beginning. And where is he now? Well, he followed Jesus for three years. He denied him. He cussed out a little girl. By the way, that is in the text. Cussed out a little girl saying, I do not know that man. Ran away weeping bitterly. Went home and then did what every man does when he is hurting and depressed and alone. He went to work. And he hid there. Right? Anybody ever hide at work? We ever get mad at your wife and work an extra long day so you don't have to see her? Anybody get tired of the mess at your house or your kids or anything else and say, this is a whole heck of a lot easier than going home? There are a lot of places we hide. Sometimes we hide behind our phones. We get depressed or feel lonely. Feel like nobody cares or nobody understands. And so we hide there. We hide somewhere else. Peter is hiding. And at the moment that he's trying to hide from Jesus, he's like a little kid covering his eyes. You can't see me because he ain't getting away from God. This happens. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
And Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in their boat, dragging the full net, the net full of fish, for there were not, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. Really quick here, um, Peter's response the first time was, "Get away from me, right? I'm no good." This time he's trying to hide from Christ at work. Um, the way we hide behind our emotional walls or behind our bitterness or our anger or our addictions or whatever else. He's hiding from Jesus. And he sees it is Jesus. Same miracle as the first day he met him. Why? Because it's the same the first day as it is this day. Christ doesn't love him less. And Peter dives in. In Jewish literature, water is associated very often with death. Right? Right? bottom of the sea or crossing the ocean. When Jesus walks on water, part of the symbol there is like he is over death and it does not command him. And Peter looks at him and dives right in because he would rather do anything than be far away because Jesus will find you regardless of where you go. You cannot run far enough to outrun his grace. You cannot cover your ears hard enough and close your eyes tight enough Nothing. Christ will chase you. And if you try to keep running, you will get more miserable. And that's part of the blessing of how he chases you. And it's wonderful and horrible at the same time, isn't it? Anybody done that? All right. After we fall, he restores us. This is huge because it's easy to think, I am broken. He will never love me again. Peter, I'm sure, was thinking, this is it. I am done. Um, Real quick, working through this. When they had finished their breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, I, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said because he had asked him a third time, "Do you love me?" And he said to him, "Lord, you know all things, you know everything, and you know that I love you." And Jesus said to him, "Feed my sheep." What the heck is up with that? Real short version. He's restored him. He denied him three times, and then he told him he loved him three times. He's acknowledged, "I know you're going to sin, and you will sin." If anybody tells you that they don't sin, they are lying. And the truth is not in them. They are lost. You will sin. And returning to Christ is as easy as that. Isn't that amazing? Do you ever feel like you screwed up so bad that nobody would care about you again, that God has to hate you now? Always, always the door is open. As far as the east is from the west, he takes our sin away from us. I'm not going to do my last uh, story part. If you want to ask me the last bit of the story as it relates to this, I'm just, ask me after because it's like 37 minutes. I did not mean to go this long. So that second practice, I'm telling you. Ah, I screwed up. Can you control this for me? Back me. Oh, no. 
Um, all right, the last thing he does for us is he sets us back on the right path and he picks our destination. You might be lost. You may have wandered way off course. You may be way out in left field. You may have found your way into Oklahoma or Canada or something else on your way to Great Falls. He will get you going and he will set a path for you. This is how this conversation ends. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, this is the very next line. This is how Jesus responds to people. Peter being hurt, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying that, he said to him, follow me. And so Peter failed. Jesus restored him. He puts him back on the path and he says, I've already figured out how this fits in and you're going to go there. And so the way Peter has just failed, he swore he didn't know Jesus in order to save his own skin. And later on, he's going to be in Rome, the capital of the world, and they're going to crucify him. And they forced him to watch as his wife was crucified. I assume that was a bad thing. And he cried out to her as she was dying. Remember how he loved those who crucified him. And when they put the thing around his wrist and did what Jesus said they would do, he went up and he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way that my Lord died. And they crucified him upside down, which would have been about a hundred times worse. And so he went from the man who denied him. And I have to suspect as he stood there facing his own death, he looked back and said, I did this once wrong. I'm doing it right this time. Because every time you fail, Christ will fix you and grow you. And when you watch other people struggle in fear, you'll be able to cry out, hey, I did this once. Remember how Jesus loved the people who persecuted him. Don't fall on your face. Peter failed, but that failure became a thing that he used to minister to other people. If you live in the hole and are hiding, if you have brokenness in your life that has pushed you away from everyone else around you, understand those things are things that Christ can use to minister to others. I hate talking about my drinking. I think I do it way too much. But you know what? Because I talk about it, people talk to me. And I will do it every day because I've helped people because Christ has used that awfulness in my life to help others. And I I feel embarrassed every time I say it. I'll tell you that quite honestly. But I do it because it's not my story. It's Christ's redemption of me. I was broken. He fixed me. He will do the same for you. I think we're not doing the song. We're going to run out of time here. Um, Falling here doesn't just refer to sin. It can refer to anxiety. It can refer to depression. It can refer to being abandoned, like, like falling in every way. I focused on sin because... I did. I don't know. Peter fit. I wanted to do that. Um, Second, we don't do this alone like we do it with the church. Got it? The people who pick you up, the people who walk with you, the people you confess to, the people who love you even when you're awful are in this room. If none of them are in that role for you, find them. Talk. Talk to me and I'll help you. The helper is the Spirit. Christ goes with us everywhere. He is in us. He doesn't leave us like orphans. The Spirit goes with us. Um, Next, listen, we're supposed to be in fellowship as believers. We do not follow Christ alone. You know, in Rex Kwando, we do not, you know, we practice the buddy system. No more flying solo, right? We're not solo. We're not practicing the buddy system. We're connected and we are a part of each other. This is not find a guy to walk with you. It is if you leave without the people in this room, it's the equivalent of your arm leaving without you. You're a part of each other. 
It is a group endeavor because we are sewn together in Christ. Stumbling or getting stuck are terrible, and they're shame-inducing, and they're frustrating, but they're also opportunities to glorify Christ. Every time we confess our sins and we say, Christ is restoring me, we're glorifying him, and we're giving him something, a new tool in our lives that he can use to minister to others. I know I'm, I'm repeating myself. I cannot say this enough. I cannot say it loud enough. In particular, the worst version of this is when we experience brokenness between us. Anybody ever get mad at somebody else in this room and not say it? Not go to them and apologize for your feelings? Gossip about them and never own it? Say something sharp and not go back on it? Like, it's weird how quickly the church fragments. Words said or people aren't willing to say, hey, that hurt my feelings, right? If we do that, we heal better. You've got to do it in love. You've got to bear each other's burdens. You've got to outdo each other in showing honor. But we do it so that we can travel together as the body of Christ. So we don't get lost on the road. So we don't get hurt. So we don't get broken. Um, so we walk out of the edge of the woods. I walked out of the edge of the woods as the sun went down and I was home. And we do this so when we walk out of this life, as the sun sets on this existence and we'll be home instead of somewhere we didn't plan to be. I'm going to close in prayer. Um, I went a little long, but I really wanted to preach this text the way I did it. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, I pray that if this sermon stuck people, if it was, if it was folks who were here who were addicted to their work and keeping up with the Joneses or hiding from the, you know, the family or whatever, like trying to win approval from a father who's long dead or, or whatever it is. If we're in that place where we are addicted to something that we're hiding from or where we're like idolizing something in this world that is not you, I pray that you showed them a more perfect way, the love of Christ, like that we should love each other, that we should stand together, that we should be united as the body and carry each other through awful circumstances. Help us to look at each other and recognize that some of us have a sprained ankle and we're off in the woods and we're scared. And like, help us to pray for each other even if we don't know that we need to. Help us to carry each other, point out in love. And Lord God, those who heard convicting words today, I pray that you would move them. Move them to not sit on the side of the trail and figure that the sun will go down or keep walking down the hill because they're moving fast enough in this direction. It feels all right. Help them to open the bottle and pour it out that we can all carry it together. Help us to remember Christ died for us and that everything we pretend is our righteousness is not real righteousness. Amen.